Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is your host, Abby Martin. This is the audio of our show. You can watch the episodes on our YouTube channel or at theempirefiles.tv. We've all heard the same things about Venezuela coming from every corporate news outlet. Venezuela is a dictatorship and Maduro is a dangerous tyrant, further consolidating power through fraudulent elections. Weirdly enough, not many dictatorships have elections. Certainly not over 20 in the last 20 years, like Venezuela has. And there's a funny thing about how the U.S. media and political establishment views Venezuela's elections. They're illegitimate, except when the U.S.-backed opposition party has major victories, which they have twice very recently. One of those was the 2015 National Assembly election, where they won a supermajority in the body that is similar to the U.S. Congress. That election was deemed legitimate by the U.S., but all the other ones before and after that fraudulent, including the one that took place this past weekend. It's also telling that you hear more about Venezuela's elections than probably any other country. Why is the U.S. empire so focused on democracy in Venezuela? Could it be that Venezuela is an oil-rich nation that doesn't follow the dictates of big oil? Well, if you're interested in learning more context about Venezuela and why it's been in the crosshairs of the empire for the last 20 years, we've done tons of reporting on the ground, including the deadliest phase of protests in 2017, which you can watch on our YouTube playlist called Reporting from Venezuela. But the propaganda campaign is an endless cycle, rebooted every time there's a democratic election in the country. So with renewed claims that Venezuela must be saved, I wanted to sift through fact from fiction with a journalist who was just on the ground observing the election. So I'm pleased to be joined from New York by Kay Pritzker, a reporter with Breakthrough News, a new outlet I hope everyone checks out. Kay just returned from a week in Caracas. Thank you so much for joining us on The Empire Files, Kay. Thanks for having me. So Kay, what did you observe on the ground that dispelled that notion that the votes were not transparent and the election not free and fair? Yeah, the Venezuelan election system is very thorough. I mean, very thorough, more thorough than what I've seen in the United States, what we have here. Um, so when you enter a Venezuelan polling place, the first thing that happens is you take a electronic fingerprint scan. Uh, they have these um, fingerprint scanners and it, the fingerprint is matched with the fingerprint that's connected to your national ID card. So there are two forms of verification, the ID card and the, the fingerprint. And if there's a mismatch, if the fingerprint doesn't match the person on the card, or if you don't ma match the person on the card, then you won't be allowed to vote. Then you'll go over to the electronic voting booth where it, you, know, you, you cast your ballot. And this is a seamless system. It takes uh, two clicks, literally two clicks. Uh, you open up the window and it shows all of the parties. It shows all of their logos and you can vote. Um, and then you get a paper ballot. You get a paper receipt that shows your vote and you deposit that into a, another ballot box. So this is so if there's any sort of discrepancy or th there needs to be a recount or the electronic system fails somehow, you can either count the paper ballots or if people want to question the electronic ballots, those two can be cross-referenced. So, you know, the paper ballots match the electronic ballots uh, to, to make sure that the, the totals are, are the same. And then finally, you go through another fingerprint and you sign your name, certifying that you are indeed the, the person that voted. And I, you know, I'll say Venezuelan elections are probably some of the most scrutinized in the world. 
I can't really think of another country where 200 international observers have to show up just to certify the election results, but Venezuela is one of those countries. And, you know, anytime Venezuela even declares an election, people already begin to question it. Certainly the United States and the United States media, you know, Western media sources immediately cast doubt on the election results before the vote even takes place. So uh, Venezuela can't really afford to run a sloppy process. They have to run a really tight ship because everyone is watching. Mm -hmm. And there's also this process of real-time counting where once you cast your vote, you can see that being measured real-time on uh, the system, correct? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, the electronic system is updated live. It's a live update system, so you can log on and watch the votes come in. Both pro-government, opposition, everyone can watch the votes come in. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your reaction to some of these headlines, most egregiously from the Washington Post, that said, with a Soviet-style election, Nicolas Maduro tightens his grip on Venezuela. And, also from the Washington Post, Venezuela's blatantly rigged election poses a test for Biden. Wow, quite astounding levels of imperial hubris here, Kay. What's your reaction to this type of coverage? Why would Venezuela's election be a test for Biden? Yeah, I mean, you gotta sell newspapers somehow, I guess. Um, but you know, I'll say I, I didn't see the Washington Post there. I, I didn't see these reporters at the polling stations that I went to. Um, I'm not sure how they exactly deduced that it was a Soviet-style system, but I'm certainly interested uh, to, to know what their sources were. But you know, I mean, this is so, it's so ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if the Washington Post knows what the word blatant means, but uh, you know, if it were such a blatant theft, I don't understand why they would allow 90 opposition parties to run or let them win 28% of the seats. I mean, you know, you'd think that if you wanted to rig the election, you wouldn't let your opposition get seats, but that happened. Um, and you know, another thing is that there was such an emphasis on election day uh, on voter turnout. I mean, you know, people from the PSUV, which is the Socialist Party, but also people from the opposition were, you know, telling people to vote. They, there was a huge emphasis on this because people knew it would be a close election and it would come down to whichever side could mobilize their base. And, you know, the real urgency I saw there, you really wouldn't see if it was a rigged election. I mean, why would uh, these PSUV supporters go the whole day knocking door to door? They did this. They, they went through neighbors, neighborhoods knocking door to door, telling people how and where to vote. I mean, if it was a rigged election, why would you spend all this time doing this? It makes no sense. But obviously, it had, you know, this headline has nothing to do with reality. And then on the Biden point, you know, what kind of test is this for Biden? I mean, I would say, you know, Biden has no business. Uh, th this, this doesn't concern Biden. He has no business meddling in the Venezuela election. But of course, you know, that's not the Washington Post attitude. That's not, uh, you know, the, the people at, at uh, you know, the Pentagon's attitude. They have the, this sort of Monroe Doctrine mentality. They think that it's the United States' right to dictate to Venezuela how they should conduct their elections, who should be allowed on the ballot, who should be in government. So, you know, I guess the test is, will Biden be a faithful servant of empire and will he be able, will he be able to put a U.S. puppet uh, in, you know, in power there or in the National Assembly? Right, yeah, and why have elections at all if this is some sort of tyrannical dictatorship? I mean, right. it's, it's a country that has so many elections, I can barely keep up with how many elections it has. The opposition has significant amounts of funding. 
Um, they have some base of support. They have the clear capability of mobilizing to win elections, as they did in 2015. They could have done the same this year and maintained some kind of government power, which they say that they want. Why did they not do this? Yeah, so I think it's important here to distinguish that there are two sides of the opposition. There's uh, a moderate opposition and there's a far right wing opposition. Now, the moderate opposition is actually much larger than the far right. But if you're if you consume the U.S. media or you consume Western media, you would think that this far right, which is headed by people like Juan Guaido and Leo, Leopoldo Lopez, you would think that this is what represents the the opposition in Venezuela. But that's not really the case. Um, the far right is the one that's receiving millions, hundreds of millions of dollars from the United States. And they're the ones that are taking this extreme position. Uh, Juan Guaido called on people to boycott this recent National Assembly election. He told people to stay home. And uh, the reason for this is because, you know, D.C., uh, Washington, D.C., and, you know, the Trump administration, they want to delegitimize the, the Maduro government completely. They don't want any compromise. They want to make it look like the, it, he's just this dictator who runs, you know, these totally fraudulent elections, and uh, their goal is total regime change, nothing less. Whereas the moderate opposition, you know, has seen that this strategy has failed over and over and over, and they actually, you know, they want to provide some kind of real option or they at least want to provide you know some kind of choice to to venezuelans and they want to enter government and negotiate with the maduro government for concessions whatever you know they may be but washington has chosen their force or sort of their tactic their chosen tactic in venezuela they want regime change nothing less which is why they've chosen to back the far right not the moderate right they've chosen to back people like juan guaido and that's why they keep trying this very tired strategy of declaring Juan Guaido president or, you know, trying to thrust him in there with a military coup instead of doing something more reasonable like most of the opposition is doing, which is running in the elections. Uh, one of the, the leaders of the opposition, Luis Pada, was actually sanctioned by the United States for uh, running in the election because the United States position is that none of the opposition groups should run in the election. And this actually put the, the, uh, the more moderate opposition at odds with people like Juan Guaido because, you know, because of Juan Guaido, the opposition is struggling to run in these elections. But the position of the opposition is that there needs to be some kind of negotiation. There needs to be dialogue with uh, the Maduro government. They, uh, one, one important difference that they have with Juan Guaido is that they oppose the sanctions. Juan Guaido supports sanctions on his own country. He supports sanctions <laughs> on his own people, which have killed tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, I, I might add that if, you know, if people really thought that the elections were rigged, you wouldn't have this whole swath of the opposition participating in the elections. But, uh, you know, that's that's just another myth that's been perpetuated by this far right. All right, Kay, this is another myth that we continue to hear from the corporate media. In fact, I, I saw in almost every mainstream article that I was reading uh, since the election was happening and that's that the poor people in Venezuela are bribed with food, literally bribed with food in order to cast their ballots for Maduro. Uh, even the New York Times said, quote, 
Um, you know, people were presented identification cards tied to government rations when they came to the polls. You mentioned that you have to present an identification order in order to vote. This seems pretty logical. But of course, according to the New York Times, it's something sinister that somehow has to do with, you know, food. Uh, what is your response to this as someone who was there? Right. Um I think this is, I think they're referring to CLAP, which is a government program where people receive boxes of necessities, um, you know, like toothpaste and food and what have you. But it's, that's a really strange, I mean, the criticism makes no sense whatsoever because CLAP is a program that is provided to everyone. It's not just provided to government supporters. Like, even if you take CLAP and you vote for the opposition, you're not going to lose CLAP. You're not going to lose uh, this this program. They're not going to kick you off it. But you know, I mean, if they're talking about like people literally bringing like loaves of bread and bananas to people in line, I mean, I didn't <laughs> see any of that. It's just such a it's such a bizarre criticism because it can be so easily debunked. I mean, you just look at any of the videos that I or any other journalist posted of the the lines. I mean, you won't see any of that. And yeah, these national ID cards are also given to everyone, so it's not like they'll revoke it if you uh, if you refuse to vote for the government or something. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's also like this is a legitimate social program. This is something that actually really helps people get by. And I'm not at all surprised that people vote on the basis of receiving clap. But you know, the way this is characterized makes it sound like oh, people will lose clap if they don't vote for the government, which is just not the case. But I totally understand why someone would vote for the government because they received this very beneficiary social program. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And we know that this is not the end game for the opposition. Uh, boycott in the election is simply a precursor for things to come. I mean, we saw the same thing in the last presidential election. The opposition could have waged an electoral challenge to Maduro. They could have won, but again, they opted for a boycott, and then we saw them kind of justify this quote-unquote rigged election for more sanctions, more assassination attempts, frankly, um, and more coup attempts. So in your mind, uh, this boycott from this recent election, what do you think is coming in the days ahead? Yeah. Yeah, the, the purpose of the boycott is is to make the elections look totally illegitimate, to say, oh, well, no one, no one actually trusts the democratic process in Venezuela, so, you know, you can't even, we can't recognize the election results. And it's, exa it's exactly as you said, Abby, you know, they boycott the elections, and then Mike Pompeo says, oh, well, look, you know, th they have totally uh, fraudulent elections anyway, that makes the government illegitimate, therefore, we're going to sanction you, we're going to declare, uh, you know, this random right-wing lawmaker, president, um, and I think they're setting up another similar strategy. Like you said, uh, Joe Biden's advisors, some of his campaign advisors, have already been quoted in the Washington Post as saying that they only recognize the democratically elected National Assembly. They're not referring to the <laughs> National Assembly that was just elected. They're referring to the National Assembly elected in 2015, which uh, was opposition-led, which was an opposition majority. So, you know, I don't think Biden's position is going to change on the blockade uh, because they're... He, he made this, the, the campaign already made this point before the elections even took place. I mean, you know, it, it, they just say, oh, the elections are illegitimate. Well, they haven't even happened yet. They haven't even counted a single vote. 
<laughs> Let's talk about this U.S. puppet incubator baby Juan Guaido. I mean, the U.S. is still claiming this man is the legitimate president of Venezuela. Not just the Trump administration. You see Democratic, uh, you know, people like Chris Murphy, uh, Democratic presidential uh, nominee, which is by Joe Biden actually recently legitimized Juan Guaido on Twitter saying, you know, we stand by you a couple weeks ago. Then you see this recent article from the Financial Times that said, quote, some of Mr. Guaido's envoys abroad have complained that they are effectively working for free and have not received payment they were expecting from U.S. state sources. And that, quote, a lot of back pay is owed to the Venezuelan opposition's overseas envoys, end quote. Just last year, USAID announced it was giving $52 million to Guaido's opposition party. Just a ridiculous amount of money nakedly handed to these coup plotters. What's your comment on this open fact that the U.S. government is funding this party? Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, it's absurd that we're just forking over millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to this crazy right-winger who literally got zero votes in, in a presidential election. I mean, he never ran in a presidential election, and he's declaring himself president. I mean, he's a, he's a really dangerous guy. He's super right-wing. Most of the people in Venezuela, uh, the, even the opposition, hate him. They know he's a crook, and he's pocketing, he's pocketing a lot of this money. He's just taking it and, and using it himself. But, um, you know, th 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 these are our tax dollars. I mean, they're doing this during a pandemic. They're doing this at a time when 40 million people are facing eviction. They're doing this at a time when people are getting kicked off their employer's health care. But the United States government prioritizes this. They prioritize overthrowing the Venezuelan government over putting food in people's mouths in the United States. And, you know, that, that sort of boggles the average person's mind. I mean, it boggles our minds, but it makes sense when you understand that this is an empire. I mean, this is actually, it's a good investment for an empire. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't make any profit. You don't make super profits by giving people free healthcare. You don't make super profits by uh, putting people in, in free or low cost public housing. But you can make billions of dollars, trillions of dollars for US corporations if you overthrow a socialist government in the, the country with the world's largest oil reserves, you take that oil, you take those resources, and you put the, the population to work for uh, you know, poverty wages, uh, which is exactly what Juan Guaido is. He's, he's a vehicle for US interests in Venezuela. So you know, from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense that this is happening, and this happens all across the world throughout history. Absolutely. And it seems crazy that $52 million just in the last year, and I'm sure it's hundreds of millions more, has already dried up. I mean, mm -hmm. what the hell are these people doing with this money? Think about how much money that is in a country like Venezuela. $52 million, how far that could go in the country. Like you said, it, it boggles the mind, Kay. And the fact that they also said in that article that they're confident the money will come this the end of the year uh, during a pandemic it's just mm -hmm. <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable you know many americans are under the impression that sanctions on countries like venezuela only affect the the very rich or these high level government officials but we know that's not the case okay can you briefly talk about the impact of sanctions in venezuela uh and the devastation they've caused Yes, uh, san the sanctions, the way the sanctions work on Venezuela is that they prevent the country from accessing foreign credit 
from accessing their foreign reserves. They've shut down Venezuela's uh, bank accounts, international bank accounts. And the U.S. threatens to sanction any company or country that wants to trade with Venezuela. And this has been absolutely devastating, especially to the country's oil sector. Uh, there was a time when 90% of, of Venezuela's budgets were funded by oil, rev oil revenue and alone. And uh, their biggest client was actually the United States at one point. That was their biggest sort of market. And those exports have gone to zero. But the United States has also pressured other countries to stop importing Venezuelan oil and other goods. And what this has done is created this economic crisis, which we see, you know, the U.S. media, you know, they film this poverty porn. They're like, oh, you know, things are so bad because of this dictatorship. No, it's because the country is under a literal economic blockade. I mean, there are entire factories, there are entire companies uh, that are empty, that just sit idle. Uh, there's no one working there. There's actually a gas shortage in Venezuela, which is crazy considering it has the world's largest oil reserves. But it's because they can't run the refineries. They can't that you need to be able to borrow money to cover the maintenance costs, to cover payroll, to, in order to run an oil refinery, and they can't do that right now. So there's a gas shortage. And the intention of the sanctions regime, the intention of the blockade, is exactly what they're, you know, is exactly what they've done during this election to frustrate people, to, uh, you know, to make things so difficult, to make Venezuela such an unlivable country that people take their anger out on the government and they blame the government or they refuse to vote or participate in the polls. And the fact that one in three Venezuelans voted despite this genocidal sanctions regime, which has killed over 100,000 people, I mean, that's more than the people that died in the Hiroshima bombing. The fact that one in three Venezuelans still voted in this process shows the, the trust in the democratic process as well as the strength of the PSUV's base. I mean, these are very loyal voters and they know exactly what's happening. They, they know it's not the government's fault. They know it's the United States that's trying to choke them and make them suffer until they blame their own government. You know, for the last 20 years, U.S. subversion has not worked. Did you leave the country hopeful in the Bolivarian Revolution to continue to stave off U.S. imperialism? Yeah, I I was ab I was absolutely I was absolutely optimistic about what's happening in Venezuela. I mean, one thing people need to understand is that you know, when you come from a, a country like the United States, I think we're used to um we're used to feeling powerless. We're used to feeling like we don't understand how to run the country that there are these men in suits that know better than us and and that's the reason they're in Congress and we're not. But in Venezuela, it's the complete opposite. The Bolivarian Revolution was not started by, by bureaucrats and, and uh, you know, people on the top or whatever. Uh, it was started by, by people. It was started in an uprising called the Caracazo. It was started by people who were so sick of neoliberalism in Venezuela that they decided they had enough. And they just started running the society themselves. And that is that vein, that, that mentality is inextricable from the Bolivarian Revolution. I was at a commune called Amatina. It was built on top of land that was just seized outright from one of the wealthiest men in Venezuela. And the government supported that effort. And, and they gave the people of Amatina what they need. But the, the community was built entirely by the people, entirely by women, almost entirely by women, 80% women. And this, this, uh, this commune 
organize themselves to bring people to the polls and vote for the government. It was people in these communes, in the poorest neighborhoods, that would shout at me from the rooftops. They would say, uh, long live Chavez, long live Maduro, long live communism. And you know the political consciousness of the average working person, of poor people in Venezuela, is so high that even such a genocidal sanctions regime cannot shake their faith in the government and cannot shake their faith in the revolution. So if they're going through all that they're going through and they're still turning out to the polls and voting for socialism and voting for the revolution, then you know, I know, I know that their faith is unshakable. I have full confidence that, that, this, that this sanctions regime will fall. And we here in the United States have to do our best to tell everyone we know that the sanctions regime is criminal. It's killing hundreds of thousands of people and it should not happen in our name. Thank you for listening to our Empire Files podcast. Help keep us independent and ad-free at patreon.com slash empirefiles. And be sure to catch our newest episodes by subscribing to our YouTube channel.